let me give you a couple things to start with. Number one, uh, the Bible doesn't say as Christians we have to always agree with each other. The Bible doesn't say we always have the same point of view. It's all right. And I tell our folks joining Calvary here um, in our uh, life track classes, I said, look, any place you cannot ask a question is a dangerous place. If you've got a question, you should feel free to ask it. That's how we grow and learn. And, 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 but, there's, but how do we do that? How does that happen the right way? Particularly in this day of communication by social media, there, there, there's, there's so many platforms and forums. So how do we respond to one another when we're concerned about one another in a way something's happening? Well, Matthew 18, 15 says that if I have something between me and my brother that I, that I disagree with, that I'm wrestling with, listen to me closely, the only biblical way to address that issue is go to them one-on-one. Okay, I don't go around them. I don't talk about it. I go to them. How many hear me? That's how I handle it. I go one-on-one. If I, if, if I don't go one-on-one, then I, I have removed my access to do that. Uh, it tells us there are other steps. If you go and it doesn't resolve, then we, we take other steps. But that's always the first step. And, and what we have to understand is, is how important that is. Uh, we, when, when we speak that way, we are allowing God's healing, God's grace to come in, understanding to happen. I can tell you how many times... I've heard somebody say something or seen somebody do something. I thought, man, why did they say that? Why did they do that? I don't like that. But then when I go to them and say, i got a question. Tell me what's going on. It's sometimes completely different than what I thought. That's the biblical pattern. That's how we operate. Now, one of the names, we have to understand some things. That the Bible calls Satan is the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Satan stands before the throne of God and wants to accuse you. Or he accuses you the accuser of the brethren. So when I, as a believer, am, am speaking not to but about another believer and criticizing, being negative, you know what I'm doing? I'm putting myself in the same position that Satan stands in. I'm accusing my brother, the accuser of the brother. It's not a biblical position to be in. There's a godly way to disagree. There's a godly way to walk through issues and talk to each other, not about each other. How do we align ourselves? See, I think a lot of this happens because we don't understand, listen to these two words, our power and our privilege. Your words are amazingly powerful, and you have an incredible privilege. As a believer, you and I can stand before the living God and talk to him. How many understand? That's an amazing thing. Our words are that dynamic. The privilege and the power to talk to God. But if I take that same privilege and power and, and use it in a negative sense, then I'm abusing and not understanding these privileges that God has given us. See, we, we have to understand that uh, particularly if there is uh, unsaved uh, people that are not believers that attack a believer and we join in with them with our words and talks and accusations, you know what we're doing? We're positioning ourselves in a place that's displeasing to God. There are proper spiritual ways to handle things. So let me say this. Why would we celebrate something God does not even tolerate? By joining with it and putting our stuff in it, we are celebrating something God would not even tolerate. So I just want to help you. As believers, we're going to disagree at times. There are going to be people that have different thoughts and ideas and, and how they handle things. But we have to operate in a biblical fashion so that God is honored. How many can say amen to that? That's how the kingdom of God operates. Well, that'll help you. Maybe, uh, maybe you're not, you don't need that yet, but there'll come a time in your life where you're going to say, okay, I've learned something. I'm going to operate according to Scripture. Why? Because then God can come in and bring healing and restoration, even correction, and get things that are out of order in order 
when we operate in that basis. So I want to help you with that. That'll be just a life lesson. That's just a freebie that, that's pastoral advice to help you maneuver through situations in life. That'll work in your family. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. That'll work on the job site. That'll work in every other area. So let's remember that. So Romans 12.1, we began here some weeks ago when we began the altered series because we, we looked at this privilege. So let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and, and I believe we're going to learn something today that, that has the potential to completely revolutionize the way you live your life. Now, that's a powerful statement, and I don't just throw that out there. Today, we're going to understand how the altar brings transformation in our life. I want to talk about strongholds, strongholds. And if strongholds are operative, they are affecting us. And if we understand how God tears down these things that limit and affect us, then our life can make big steps forward. This is really important, and it all begins with the altar. So let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, and we say sisters, of course, in view of God's mercy. I love the way this begins. And you've heard me say it before. So, so the perspective about what Paul is about to tell us here, what the Spirit of God is going to say to us, is in view of the mercy of God. What's that, what's that pointing to? The cross. The mercy of God. I've given you this definition before. What is mercy? Mercy is this. Something I desperately need but do not deserve. How many would agree with your pastor that we desperately need the mercy of God? Anybody here say, I need mercy. In other words, I didn't pay for the cross Jesus did. How many would also say, in myself, I don't deserve it? Yeah, that's where we are. I desperately need it, but I don't deserve it. But I sure do receive it, right? So the mercy of God. So, so let's look at what he's about to say. Only Christians get this, okay? Only a person who understands the mercy of God gets it. So in view of God's mercy, what do I do? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's where we went to the altar. And, and now we're in New Testament priesthood. That's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So what does that mean? He says, offer yourself... I have this little wooden altar just as an illustration. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, all the sacrifices were dead. All the animals were burnt up. So when a sacrifice was put on the altar so that they could come closer to God, it was dead. But now he says there's something different. In view of mercy, the cross, okay, now we're New Testament. You're a born-again believer. In view of the cross, how do I approach God? Well, not with a dead animal, but with myself. He says, so in view of God's mercy, what do I do? I, I get on the altar, see, a living sacrifice. Now, somebody said the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps doing what? Getting off the altar. I mean, we come to church on Sunday. I hope I don't fall off this that way, especially as a long fall. But uh, we come to church on Sunday, and what do we say? Oh, Lord, I love you. I serve you. going to give you all my life, right? You know, I'm here. And then the heat gets turned up. And what do we do? Hmm. I'm going to take a step or two off that. It's hot right on that altar, see? So he said, but in view of the mercy of God, what do I do? Here's my life. In view of the mercy of God, I'm a living sacrifice. Good, got it? We're tracking? Okay, so we, I bring myself. As a, as a New Testament priesthood, what's the offering I bring? The greatest thing I'll ever give God is myself. That, that's what God wants more than anything else. I give him myself. 
I read the story about, uh, about an old alcoholic that stumbled into a, 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 a rescue mission service in, in Chicago. And the man had been a lifelong alcoholic. But isn't it amazing that that guy got it better than some Christians who've been in church forever? Because you see, as he sat there and heard the gospel and the message, and he wept at the goodness of God, they took an offering at the end of the service. And as the offering plate came to the old alcoholic, he put the offering plate on the floor and stepped inside of it and said, God, all I can give you is me. Well, see, he got it quicker than a lot of people who go to church and try to plead their own righteousness. So in view of the mercy of God, let's give ourselves to him. What happens then? Notice the rest of this verse. He says, that is holy and pleasing to God. And what is that? That's your spiritual act of worship. That's really worship. That means that I can worship God, you can worship God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't matter where you are. It matters do you come to him. That's your spiritual act of worship. See, we've made worship too narrow. Many of us think worship is only what we do in a church building on a Sunday morning. Come on. In other words, we think, you know, boy, today I went to church and sang. Well, that's good. And so I'm a real worshiper, maybe. Today I went to church and, I, man, I raised my hands. I, my, well, that's good. But the Bible says my genuine, true, authentic, undeniable, can't argue with spiritual act of worship is when I give myself to God. See that? Worship is not just my actions, it's my heart. Now watch what happens. When you and I begin to live that lifestyle, someone say lifestyle. That's one of the words I gave you in the beginning. When we live a lifestyle of coming to God, of remembering His mercy, and saying, God, what else can I do but give you my life? Here I am. I'm so thankful. See, when we do that as a lifestyle, it begins to affect everything in our life. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's a, it's a lifestyle. Now look at verse 2. So what happened? I'm coming to the altar. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Well, what is the worldly pattern? What is the pattern of this society we live in today? It's not pushing you to the altar. It's taking you away from the altar. So he says when you stop running from the altar and you start trusting God with your life, watch what happens. Here's what we want to see. What, watch this with me. But be what? What's the word? But be transformed. Wow. By the renewing of your mind. You realize the, the, the one element above all things that separates true Christianity, listen to me, your personal relationship with Christ from any other religion. We don't even want to be called a religion because we're not. Christianity is not a religion. It's not man following rules to earn the favor of God. God gave you favor from the beginning by sending his son. So we're not earning anything. Jesus already paid for it. But in your personal relationship with Jesus, here's the, here's the critical element that separates Christianity from all those other things. Is that this word right here, transformation. Transformation. When you meet Christ personally, your life begins to change. And that's what I want to show you today. But I want you to see where this transformation really has its impact. You're transformed by what? By the what? Renewing of your what? Mine. So the Bible says, as I keep coming to Christ, thanking for his mercy, trusting him, surrendering him, growing in my relationship, something's going to begin to happen to me. How many are thankful you're not the person you used to be? How many are thankful you're not yet the person you're going to be? It's pretty encouraging, isn't it? So I can look back and say, oh, my life was a train wreck when I came to Jesus. How many brought some drama when you came to Jesus? Tell the truth. How many had some issues? Some of you were perfect. I'm going to give you one more chance not to tell a lie on Sunday. 
One more chance. Then I'm going to Revelation 3. It talks about liars. Anyway, okay, so, so, so what do we do? What do I do? How many of us came to Jesus full of some baggage, issues, drama, junk? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Man. And you know what? He took us anyway. But aren't you thankful we're not that same person just with Sunday on our agenda now? We are what? Being transformed. We're not who we used to be. And encouragingly, encouragingly, we're not who we're going to be yet. See? Transformation. But look at this impact by your mind, by the renewing of your mind. Now, don't miss this. I'm not teaching you a mental uh, process today. What I'm teaching you today, what we're learning today about transformation, about the altar, about coming to Jesus is not a mental exercise. It is a spiritual journey that impacts your mind. Did you understand what I said? A spiritual journey that impacts your mind. You're renewed by your mind. Watch what happens. When that happens, then everything you want happens. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. How many want to live in God's will? How many believe God's will is the best place to live? How many believe God knows what we don't know? And if I get in his will, I'm where I need to be. So I need to be there. So how do I get there? Transformed by the renewing of my mind. Then, see that word then, not before. But as that's happening, then what happens? I'm able to know, test, and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Watch the importance of this. Some of us got saved in our 20s. Some got saved in our 30s. Some got saved in our 40s. Some got saved in our 50s. Some got saved in our 60s. Some got saved in our 70s. If you got saved beyond that, you ought to come. You ought to be here an hour early every Sunday and stay an hour late praising God because statistics say that over 70% of the people that accept Christ do that before they're 30 years of age. So you're beating the odds if you came. But how many are thankful that he'll take you just like you are, wherever you are, whatever age you are, whatever your problem is, and save you and forgive you right there? But we've lost some years, haven't we? And, you know, when he saves you, he forgives you, but you're right in the middle of what you created when you get saved, right? Right? See, if you're in a crazy marriage, you're still in a crazy marriage. You're just saved now in a crazy marriage. I'm just telling the truth, right? If you got saved in jail, guess what? The next morning when you wake up, you're still in jail. But the good news is God's with you in jail now. Let me go back over to the crazy marriage over here. So... I probably should have used a better term, but it just popped out. So, so, so what happens? Okay, Pastor. <laughs> Woo, help me, Lord, right now. Okay, so, so, so I'm scared. I don't know if you're scared. I'm real scared right now. So, so you, you get saved. You're in a crazy marriage, and you get saved. So what do you do? You don't leave the marriage. You believe God's going to change that crazy marriage. Boy, thank you for that overwhelming response. It makes me feel there's some... <laughs> You're scaring me now. It makes me feel like there's some crazy marriages in the house today. I got to stay over here with the crazy marriage. I still got to work on it. All right. So let me help you with one more thing. It's going to get better. Just, all right, just stay in here. So, so I'm in a marriage that's not working. I'm going to change my verbiage. Forgive me. So I'm in a tough marriage, and I come to Christ, and I get saved. Well, you know how God begins to change that tough marriage? With you. You don't leave that marriage. You're in it. And, 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 you, and what we want to pray, oh, God, thank God I'm a Christian now. And you look at that person over there and you're like, do you kill people, Jesus? Or is that an answer to prayer? Can you just kill them? And <laughs> probably that's not going to work. So, uh, and, and then the next thing we pray is uh, we pray, okay, now, God, make that a better person. Then I'll be happy. But probably what he's going to do is start on you. 
How many, how many with me here? Okay, so start on you. Because you know, I found out the only person in this world is crazy. Have you found this out? The only person on this planet I can control is me. Have you come to grips with that yet? I can't control anybody on this planet but me. I'm the only guy I've got to answer to God for. And I got a full-time job with that. I need to take care of me. And get my get me when I say take care of me, I don't mean a selfish way. I mean I need to get George Sawyer right. I don't have time to judge everybody else. I need to be taking care of this guy. Anybody in the same boat I'm in? Yeah, I need to look at me first when change comes. So, so, so we're watching this. So watch this. So we see where we are. But here's the hope. What? Here's the hope. What if our children come to know Jesus? Not when they're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. But what about as children accepts Christ? And they begin to love the Lord and grow in their faith. Watch this. What happens? They grow. They live knowing the will of God. You get this? They live knowing the will of God. Well, Pastor, I, I didn't know that till now. Well, the good news is you can so be transformed where you are that your children watch you and say, I want what they have. Anybody with me? I, I, I see what God changed. I see what happened there. And so the children grow up. This is, the, this is our prayer. The, we're not just here trying to build a Sunday service. We're trying to build a family of God here, which family of God will transform the world around us here. So that we honor Jesus. And so what if your children grow up and they always know the will of God? What if your children date in the will of God? You hear what I just said? Wouldn't you like that? How many want that to happen? They date in the will of God. You know what that means? They're going to marry in the will of God. They're going to marry God's will. They're not going to fool around and mess up and this one and that one and this one and heartbreak and this one. No, 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 no. They're not going to have to go through what we went through because they came to him early and they're going to live in the will of God. How many are excited about that? that, that that's wonderful. They're going to date in the will of God, marry in the will of God, find their career in the will of God, buy their house in the will of God, live where they're living in the will of God, live with the joy of God in their life. Because the Bible says if I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind, then I'm able to test and approve what God's will is. God's will is the very best thing in my life. And the sooner I allow him to change me, the more quickly I understand what his will is in my life. What an incredible privilege. So that's where we're headed. But where is this thing? It's in my mind. It's in my mind. And so if how I look and approach life doesn't change, this transformation is not going there. L let me illustrate this. Uh, let, let's turn here to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. This is very important that, that we understand that we're dealing with some things we may not have recognized. God wants your life to come in order and be blessed. You know, I said 2 Corinthians 3, and what I really wanted to tell you was 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Turn there with me, please. So we see this incredible process that as we come to Christ in view of his mercy and offer ourselves totally to him and trust him, he begins to transform us by the renewing of our mind. Our life begins to be different. What does that look like? Let, let me help you with something. Let's look at this. The Bible has a lot to say about the transforming of your mind in, in a believer's life. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Let us look at this. Let me, uh, I'll read from here. If you don't have it, if you've got it on a device or it's on, on the screen behind me. So, so verse 3 says this. For though we live in the world, how many people live in this world? There are some astronauts here. Let me ask you one more time. How many people live in this world? This world's your home. Okay. So what happens? Look at this. Uh, for though we live in the world, what happens? We do not, what? Wage war as the world does. So living in this world, there's going to be some conflict war, okay? So we have to understand there's something fighting against our spiritual progress. So let's keep reading. The weapons we fight with 
are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. So we have weaponry at our disposal, help at our disposal, that is not human. It's from God. It has the power of God. So in this world, is everybody with me? You're going to face some conflict. You're going to deal with some opposition as a Christian. It's not a magic carpet ride. Is everybody listening to what I'm saying? There are going to be some challenges. How do you respond? How do we understand the challenge? Do we know what my weapons are? Do we know what the enemy is, who the enemy is? Do we know what's going on? If we understand this, you can overcome this. So he says that on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish. In my translation, it says strongholds. Let's go to the next verse, verse 5. They, the weapons, we, we demolish arguments. Are, look at this. This translation says arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Well, I'm reading this, and it says these are some of the synonyms. We, we read here uh, that they are, have demolished strongholds, all right, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So, so this, the verbiage here is pretensions, imaginations. Then it says take every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What's it talking about? My mind, your mind. Now, I said this is a spiritual journey, not a mental process, but the mind is the battleground. Do you understand that? So, Pastor, what do you mean my mind is the battleground? Well, as as believers, we have the Word of God to read. We have the Holy Spirit operating in our life. And where do the thoughts and the awareness of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, where, where does that come to us? Through the Spirit to our mind. All right? So we're receiving spiritual, godly information to our mind. At the same time, from the other hand, are the the temptations and the lies and the accusations and the work of the enemy. And where are they meeting? They come to our mind. And there in your mind, the words and the will and presence of God is encountering the word and the will and the presence of this world. Your mind's the battleground. How many see that? And the Bible, when it talks about this, says what? They are called strongholds or arguments and every pretension or imagination that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now watch this. So what is a stronghold? It is something in your mind, stay with me, that has been built up, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. There's a stronghold. Watch this. On this side is the knowledge of God in your mind. This is reality. This is how we live. This is what's going on. You wonder, why is this stuff happening? On this part of your mind and your thinking is God. But because the stronghold has been erected in the way you think, in the way you approach life, on this side, on the back side of the stronghold, is not the presence of God and light and understanding. It set itself up against the knowledge of God. And the Bible says they are really imaginations and pretensions. So what does that mean? Well, God gave all of us the ability of imagination. Where do we get from pretension? What word do we get? Pretend. How many, you know, I, I know I'm a little old school, but I'm okay with it. I didn't grow up with, you know, all the video gaming and everything. I grew up outside. And, and I grew up reading books. And when I read those books, they were more real to me than a movie. I remember reading those books, and I'm reading these books as a kid, and I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, I'm right there. You ever read a book? I mean, you see it. I'm there. You know, I read all those stories about the black stallion. I could see me. I had my own. I didn't have a horse, but I had a horse. I, 
I mean, come on, am I the only guy? I mean, I had imagination. I'm riding a black stallion. Oh. And then we had, before we had the Avenger movies, we had comic books. They're like the comic book. When you sat down in the, in the uh, barbershop to get your buzz cut, you know, they, they give you, you, had, you had the comic book. And I couldn't even hear them call my name. They had to call me about four times because I was like, oh, oh, no, Batman, what? Oh, you know, I, I'm like, I'm Batman. I was in the Batmobile. I mean, I was, you, you know what I'm saying? George. Oh, yeah, 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 get my hair cut. And then, you know, every little boy at some time, it's a miracle every boy in the world didn't break their leg because you, you were Superman. And, and you'd go get a bath towel, sneak it out of the house when mom's not looking, tie it around your neck like a cape. And then you could fly because you're Superman. So you'd climb up on the garage. I'm Superman. I was pretending. I was imagining. I'm Superman. Well, that didn't work, did it? Because watch, because no matter how much you imagine and pretend, it's not real. But if you think it is, and you feed it enough, and you believe it enough, what happened? In my mind, I'm not Superman. I'm not faster than a speeding bullet. I can't stop a, stop a locomotive. I'm just a little boy, but I thought I was Superman until I jumped off the garage. And sprained my ankle. And then you can't go tell your mother because she shouldn't have been, stole her bath towel and been on the garage anyway. So you just limp around and don't talk about it. And every time you step on the sprained ankle, say, doggone it, I'm not Superman. I thought I was Superman. Okay? Are you with me? That's what the devil does when you grow up. And you hear all your life lies, thoughts, imaginations setting up a stronghold. And every time you see something, boom, you're behind that stronghold. So, see, Christians, they come to church. Watch this. And, and, and because the stronghold is not your whole mind, see, it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It's not everything. It's just some ways you think. So you come to church, come on, and you, and you praise the Lord and say amen to the sermon. Everything's good. But then when you get to this other area where this stronghold is, see, something happened. You grew up with this thing, and, 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 and you begin to you look at things differently. James 1.8 says, a double-minded man. How did I become double-minded? A stronghold divided my mind. And James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways because part of me agrees with God and part of me doesn't agree with God. And there's a stronghold, and it dictates my life, how I look at myself, how I look at you, how I respond to relationships. Everybody with me on this? Let, let, me, let me give you a definition. This is, this, is, this is strong. I want to go slow. I want you to hear this. Listen, listen to this. What is a stronghold? It's a mindset impregnated with hopelessness. Why? That, that causes us to accept as unchangeable Situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. What is a stronghold? Let me say it again. It's a mindset impregnated with hopelessness and causes us to accept as unchangeable situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. We've just believed it long enough. We've operated under it long enough. Our family talked that way. I heard that all my life. I assumed that was true. I became hopeless that it would change. How, how many times do you hear people say, that's just who I am? 
That's just how I think. That's just the way we are. That's just what we do. Huh? That's just how my family operates. That's just what my church does. That's just how people think about me. That's just how my life has always been. It is a stronghold that has been built and reinforced in your life. And on this side, it has pushed something against the knowledge of God. And so over here, when you get to that area, when you start to think and operate that way, you are away from the presence and the help of God. Pastor, what do I do? Got a stronghold. Well, the first thing you you begin to recognize, listen to some of this. A stronghold exists when a Christian finds himself powerless to change a situation they know is not the will of God. I know it's not right, Pastor, but nothing I can do. What it, it, it's 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 when we come to a place and we say, "There's there's just nothing that's going to change it." But listen, listen, listen. What happens? Uh, what do we start in Romans twelve one? What do we say? In view of the mercy of God, what do I do? I come to Him. I bring in my life. He doesn't say, "Come when everything's perfect. Come when you got everything in order." He says, "Just come." So I come. Hey, listen. Listen, I, I don't want to insult anybody. Every one of us have grown up with some thinking and talking and mindsets that probably disagree with the Word of God. Every one of us have grown up with situations. For some, you've been rejected and beat down and, and, and made fun of and, and isolated and, and you feel so insecure and you feel so hopeless and you feel so rejected and you just accept that. You know, it's a person, you, you, you see them, you know, they, 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 they walk in a room and, and, and this is there. And then, when they, then when they go home, it's the same way. Walk in the home, turn off the lights. Sit in a dark corner. Oh. And you say to yourself, see, it's just me. I don't have any friends. No one ever talks to me. How can they? You live like this all the time. Man, it's hard, a hard way to live. I don't have any friends. I don't have any hope. It gets so deep after a while. Somebody says hello to you, and you're like, what do they want? What are they going to do to me? You just live like that. And you know That's a stronghold. That's not who God made you to be. That's not who you are. That's not your sum total. That's not what you're supposed to be. And the other way, insecurity, either it happens like this, or you get the big loud mouth, and they hide behind all that bravado. On the inside, they're scared to death. But what do we do? It's a stronghold. It's a mindset. And because we've begun to think of ourselves that way, we look at everybody that way. We look at every relationship that way. We go through enough rejection and dysfunction and hurt and, and, and what you want more than anything in the world, somebody to love you. And you get married and, and, and you want somebody to love you. If I'm married, now I'm married, somebody loves me. But if the way you look at life is behind this stronghold, even if somebody marries you, you don't believe they love you because you still look through this stronghold. I know they don't love me. I know, I, I, I know they don't care about me. And all you want to be is love, but you can't see it or anything because you've got a stronghold. But what happens? I can only come to the cross. I can only come to Jesus. I can only keep coming to him. And as I come to him, something begins to happen. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 3. I do want you to turn there now. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Pastor, how do we get out of this place? I'm going to help you. How do I recognize it? Well, when I begin to see something that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, when I realize that I'm beginning to feel hopeless about something I read in his word that he can do, but I've accepted it's not going to change, there's a stronghold. 
when, when the way I look at people, when I look at myself, I'm, it's a stronghold. And the Bible says I'm never really transformed until my mind gets renewed. Until I don't look at me the way I used to look at me. Until I don't look at you the way I looked at you before. Or the way I don't look at God the way I looked at him before. Why? I have had a transformation by my mind renewed. And how is my mind renewed? When the strongholds are beaten down. How do we do that? Well, the Bible says there are mighty weapons and only God can do it. But, but look at this. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Are you there? 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What does that mean? That means as I come to Jesus with all my baggage, with all my divided mind and strongholds and half here and half there, as I keep coming to him, guess what happens? I'm coming, and, and as I'm coming, the Bible says he's beginning to transform me. And as I come to him through the cross, not because I'm worthy or I'm good or I'm strong, but because of what he's done, I keep coming. What happens? The Spirit of God begins to operate in your life. The Holy Spirit begins to turn on the light. See, this dark place where you've been living, you just keep coming to Jesus. It doesn't mean you're stronger, smarter, better. It means that the mighty God of the universe stepped into your dark place, turned the light of the Holy Spirit on, and said, if you'll keep coming, I'm going to knock this wall down in your life. I'm going to knock it down. It doesn't mean it happens just like that. We are being, uh, let's, let's see, let's go to the next verse 18, where the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect his glory. What does that mean? Unveiled faces and all that. In the Old Testament, you remember Moses? The Bible said, actually went into the tent of meeting and talked with God face to face like a man talks with a friend. And the Bible says that when Moses would come out of those meetings with God, his face glowed. Isn't that amazing? It's in the Bible. It's not made up. His face glowed because of the presence of God. And the people said, Moses, we, we can't even look at you. So he would put a veil over his face. Because God's presence was so strong, people couldn't look at it. And so the Bible says, look, they're talking about you and I now. You and I. He says, and we all who with unveiled faces, we don't have to cover this thing up. We get to go into him. We are reflecting or contemplating his glory. Look at this. Our being transformed. I go back to what I said you know what the good news is? We're not who we used to be. Come on. Thank. Can you take a praise minute and just, come on, God, thank you. I'm not who I was. But, but I, and I'm excited about that. But I'm really excited about this, that I'm being transformed. That I'm not yet who I'm going to be. Come on. How many are thankful? You know some people that aren't, God's not through with them yet. Tell the truth. Come on. Don't point. Just raise your hand. How many are thankful? You know some people, and you're looking at that person going, glory to God. I thank God this isn't the end product here. I'm thankful when I go look in the mirror and say, man, George, God's not done with you, partner. God's not done with you, buddy. You're going to be transformed. You're being transformed. How? Into his image with ever-increasing. Did you see that? With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, Pastor, what do I do? I recognize, I mean, I see that. I, I know what you mean. I, I get so far, and then this thinking starts. I make progress, and then I fall back behind this thing. I, I feel like I'm ready to go, and it comes down. So what, what happens to that person that's down like this and, and just can't get it and feels rejected and, 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 and alone and discouraged and depressed? And, and, and that young lady who's, who's living her life like this, what happens? Well, she, she 
accepts the mercy of Jesus. She comes to him and says, here's my life, Lord. And, and God begins to work in her, and the Holy Spirit begins to give her freedom. And she begins to say, you know, I, I don't have to have everybody else love me. God loves me. I'm accepted by the creator of the universe. I'm the daughter of the Most High. And you don't begin to walk in pride and arrogance. That's just another counterfeit. What happened? You're secure now. Because you're loved now. And now when you walk in a room, you don't run and sit down and grab the back chair and then go home to press and nobody talk to you. You walk in with your head up. You walk in with smile. See, because uh, Pastor Josh Maddox said, you know, Peter and John were being transformed. They had a Holy Spirit encounter and they'd walk by a lame man forever. But one day they walked by and said, hey, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> we got something now. To give that man. And this depressed, discouraged, beaten down person, afraid and insecure, you begin to stand up. You begin to accept the grace of God. And you begin to realize, hey, I don't have to have somebody prop me up and give me something. I've got something. I can give you something. I am a blessing God brought into this situation. And you stop craving the things that hurt you and start walking in your freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. There's transformation. How do those strongholds fall? Every time you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working and working and working and working and knocking down the stronghold, knocking it down, knocking it down until you begin to see what you didn't see. You begin to understand what you didn't understand. You walk in a freedom. You're not locked into the darkness of strongholds in your life. Listen, when somebody gets saved around here, I don't sit them down and say, okay, now listen. All right, you're a Christian now. Yeah, you don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. I don't lay that on them. You know what I say? Hey, Jesus lives in you now. You, you're, you, you have the God of the universe inside of you. I tell them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jesus every day. I don't give them 300 things. I give them one thing. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. This is what I know. Every time they come, he knocks another block out of that wall. Every time they pray, he knocks another block out of that wall. I, I, I let the Holy Spirit. You know what I found out a long time ago? This is exciting. Do you know that I'm not the Holy Spirit for Calvary Assembly? That was a big relief to me when I finally got that. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I kind of chilled out and just preached the word. Quite trying to be the Holy Spirit running around, making everybody act right. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm the under-shepherd. I'm just trying to keep the flock moving in the right direction so that the big shepherd, the boss, can get us where we need to be. And so I don't try to make them anything. I introduce them to Jesus. I begin to pray for them, love them, and guard them, watch over them as shepherd. I say, hey, listen, man, you didn't get saved by feelings. You got saved by faith today. You asked Christ in here. I said, now, tomorrow you may wake up and you don't feel quite what you felt standing in this moment. But God still loves you, and God's still in your life, and you're just as much saved then as you are right now, right? I said, no, listen, I hope this doesn't happen, but if you trip, you make, you sin, you do something, listen to me. I asked him, hey, have you ever been swimming? Well, yeah, Pastor. Did you drown? Well, no, I'm here. I didn't drown. I said, well, why didn't you drown? Well, I guess I didn't stay underwater too long. Bingo. So I say, if you make a mistake, get up out of that thing. Don't wallow in it. Get up out of it. Come back to the cross. Say, here I come. And you know what? You just keep coming, and you just keep coming, and you just keep coming, and the strongholds are falling and falling and falling. He's knocking those blocks down, and you're getting stronger. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we're not serving Jesus because we're afraid of hell. We're serving Jesus because we're in love with him. We love the freedom. We love who he is, and we come, we come. If we have a bad day, we come harder. We come quicker. We come sooner. We say, oh, God. 
Thank you that I am being transformed by your spirit. How do we break out of the strongholds? How is our mind renewed? By coming to the presence of God. By being transformed in the presence of God. Nikki Cruz, who was saved under David Wilkerson's ministry that launched Teen Challenge. If you've ever read the book or seen the movie, The Cross and the Switchblade. It's about Nikki Cruz, this gang leader who got saved. He grew up in a demon-worshipping family, literally witches and demon worship. He was a gang leader. He was violent, no conscious, a sociopath called by society. But he met Jesus. Nikki Cruz didn't know anything about good or bad, morals, right or wrong. I mean, no way. But David Wilkerson led Nikki to Christ. And Nikki came to Brother Wilkerson. Now, you got to remember, this guy knows nothing. He, he knows less about the Bible than about a comic book. Nothing about God. He says, Brother Dave, something's wrong. He says, what do you mean, Nikki? He says, I don't know. Something's wrong. I just don't, you know, something's trying to help me, but I don't get it. He said, well, Nikki, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, Brother Dave, at night, me and my girlfriend kneel down beside the bed before we go to bed together. We pray. And he said, well, you know, I think I might can help you here. Are you guys with me? It got real quiet all of a sudden. They weren't married, his girlfriend. We kneel down by the bed before we go to bed. We pray. You know, just because you <laughs> pray doesn't mean you need to obey, too. You understand what I'm saying? That prayer, oh, Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do, that one never works. <laughs> repent is where you say, I change and walk a different direction. You can't repent for something you hadn't done yet. Just trying to help you out. So Nikki said, Brother Dave, I, got no, I, I don't know what the Bible says. Listen, I don't know what the Bible says. I don't know. I don't know something's not right. He said, well, Nikki, sit down. He didn't yell at him, scream at him, tell him you're going to hell. He said, let me show you some scriptures about fornication and adultery and these things. He said, oh, man, I didn't know that. Nobody ever told me that. He said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get that right. And he did. But what's going on in Nikki Cruz's life? See, he didn't have any Bible knowledge, but he had access to Jesus. He saves us just like we are. And what was Nikki doing? He was just coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus. And you know, every time he came to Jesus, those strongholds were being knocked down by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Nikki didn't even think about, now he's starting to think about. Now he's starting to see things. Now he's starting to understand. Now he's a new creation. Things are happening in our life. I can tell you today that the power of the Holy Spirit can tear down any and every stronghold that the devil's ever put inside your life. And you and I don't have to live behind a lie and, and, and be hopeless and say it'll never change and find all these reasons and say this is just who I am because we are saying, no, it's not who I am, it's who he is. I'm being transformed by the power of the living God. And just keep coming. You know what you have to your advantage? Just keep coming. So you're not there. Just keep coming. Just keep welcoming the Holy Spirit, coming in the presence of God, surrendering yourself to the Lord. And God will do what you and I can't do. And God will tear down walls you and I can't can't tear down and we begin to see things we didn't see and the beaten down little depressed and discouraged person now has the strength of God in their life and the angry big you know bravado person trying to secure their insecurities by taking advantage of other people begins to be calm and rested instead of taking advantage of people they're starting to help people why because they're being changed into his image and likeness listen if he can save us he can change us if we can keep coming we can be set free amen I want you to stand with me. Let's stand together. I want our musicians to come. We're going to pray an important prayer together, church family. I'm thankful that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How many can say amen to that today? Absolutely. See, it's not just what I can do. It's not a mental exercise. 
It's a spiritual surrender. God, here I am. I come to you today. I surrender to you today. And God begins to tear down the strongholds, break them down. You know how a stronghold is built? Listen, a stronghold is built one thought at a time, one thought at a time, one thought at a time, until we get hopeless and we feel helpless and we say, this is what I know is right, but I don't think I can do it. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. And God's going to keep tearing that wall down until you're free. Until you're not double-minded, until this thing that had exalted itself, and I've lived half my life behind, away from, separated from the knowledge of God, the wall's down. I can see my life. I can understand my thoughts. I can serve God. That's who you are. How many are thankful for freedom today? Say amen for freedom. For freedom, freedom, freedom. Not just a religious experience, but a freedom that changes my life. I want us to pray together today. You know, can, can we for... Because I want everybody to have their moment with God. Let, let, let's say this whole room is an altar right now. From that wall to that wall. From that wall to here. We're all standing at the altar, okay? Now, what you do is your business. But we're there. For those of you at home or work, you're watching me right now. Make an altar right where you are. You can join us. You're part of this altar. You're right there with us. Here's what I want you to do, if you would, as we begin to pray. I want you to say, God, I'm just coming. I'm just coming. I realize that the enemy's tried to put strongholds in my thinking. Unforgiveness stays there. Forgive. Forgive. This mindset, I just sense this for relationships and marriages. How sad would it be to be loved but never to understand that? What you want more than anything in this world, you're never able to receive because of the stronghold you're behind. And, 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 you know, even this this world that doesn't have the wisdom of God recognizes that. The old song says, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong faces. Even the world knows that. We know more. We understand those are strongholds. And, and, and unless we allow God to tear the stronghold down, we're, we're on the wrong side with the wrong people trying to solve this problem. You see that? Everybody else behind the stronghold can't help you. But as the Holy Spirit tears it down, tears it down, tears it down, you begin to see. You begin to be free. You walk out of that prison. So as we're here today, would you just come and say, God, here's the areas. Man, the Holy Spirit's turned the light on. I see where the enemy wants to put a stronghold in my life. God, I bring it to you today. I surrender my thinking. I surrender who I am. I just come to you. Come on, let's pray that right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you in view of your mercy. We're so grateful and humble and so thankful today that you've never given up on us, that you took us just like we are, but you love us too much to leave us in that condition. That we're being transformed today as we come to you. We're being transformed as we come and come and come and come. As we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. As we're exposed to the Lord who is the Spirit. We begin to see with unveiled faces. No more walls and restrictions. We see you. And as we encounter you, you change us. Not by might. Not by the power of man. But by your Spirit. Walls come down. Strongholds are demolished. Freedom is released in our life. So, Lord, we just come. 
<laughs> Thank you that we can come. We come today and we owe nothing back. We don't uh, make a deal. We don't compromise. We don't excuse. We just say, God, here's my life. I want freedom. I want freedom. Here's my life. I yield to you. I surrender to you. I present myself to you. I acknowledge you, oh God. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Come do what I can't do. Come tear down my strongholds and renew my mind so I can be transformed. So I can live in the will of God. So I can know the purposes of God. So I can fulfill the reason you put me here. So I can live my life at the highest level. Only you, Holy Spirit, can do it. Only you, Jesus, can open the door for your spirit to come change my life. So I just keep coming, and I just keep coming. Jesus, you said, take up the cross daily. You said it's a lifestyle. It's not an event. It's not a visitation. It's a lifestyle. We just come to you and thank you. You don't condemn us. You receive us. Lord, I declare now in the power of your name and authority and the victory of the cross and power of the Holy Spirit, I declare that right now strongholds have been exposed, that no longer is there a deception, they're exposed. And not only are they exposed, even now the work of your spirit to demolish them has begun in every life right now, right now, right now. Walls that seemed impenetrable unscalable, are now tumbling, cracking, falling under the sledgehammer blows of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. People living their life at the highest level, relating to one another out of healing and wholeness, not brokenness, living a life of freedom, not bondage. God, we are walking in these things because they're your will and purpose. And all we do is just come. We just keep coming. We just keep coming. We just keep coming. Receiving freedom, receiving grace, receiving strength. He who the Son sets free, free indeed, free indeed. Thank you that strongholds are falling. Thank you, God, that, that if it's not all done yet, it's being done. It's being transformed because tomorrow's another day of transformation and Tuesday's another day of transformation and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's another day of transformation. We are coming to you again and again, and you are working mightily, oh God. We love you and we thank you. We praise you and we honor you today. 